great to see what the Lord is doing. You guys have been faithful. Uh, you are faithful. Uh, it's, uh, it's amazing to see the generosity of this church, uh, the willingness of um, our people to go, uh, the young people who, who went, share the gospel. Um, God is good. He's working not just here. He's working all over the place. So, so we've been going through the book of Jonah, right, for the last three weeks. Uh, we're on week four, chapter four. Uh, just kind of chapter a week, and um, it's been good. I, I, good reminder. Uh, Jonah's an interesting book. If you haven't been here with us, uh, we've we've been looking at a guy who is is completely relatable uh, because most of us, if not all of us, if we're honest, uh, follow a similar pathway that Jonah has done. Right? We we oftentimes don't want to listen to what the Lord asks asks us to do. Uh, oftentimes we run in the opposite direction as to what the Lord asks for us. Um, and all of us are in need of his grace, his mercy. We are in need of casting ourselves upon his mercy to rescue us. Um, last week we, we saw this really interesting text where Jonah, after being rescued out of the ocean, uh, spent a couple times in a fish, a couple days in a fish, um, goes and travels to Nineveh um, and follows, says he'll do what the Lord wants him to do, goes in kind of half-heartedly, proclaims a message to Nineveh. Uh, Forty days, Nineveh will be destroyed. Forty days, Nineveh will be destroyed. And this just miraculous thing happens. The entire nation repents, right? So, like, everybody's repenting. It always gets up to the king. King's like, all right, this, we're doing this. Everyone is doing this. All the cattle are doing this. So everyone's sackcloth and ashes, put it on the cattle. Everyone's doing a fast, every, you know. And it's just this crazy scene. Uh, so much so, like, you know, what, what would you guys do, Steve, if uh, you go to Bulgaria and all of a sudden the entire nation just repents? Slava de Boga. I have no idea what that means, but praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. There we go. Slava de Boga. Um, see, I'm getting educated today. Right? It would be this awesome, awesome thing that happens. But quite the opposite happens with Jonah. Chapter 4, something like complete opposite of what you think would happen, happens with Jonah. And before we get in here and read this, this text, um, I just want to give us some signposts. We're, I'm going through this. I'm going to just one quick observation of what's happening. We're going to look at a principle, um, and then I'm going to leave you with a question. Uh, just one observation. First observation is, is this. Uh, Jonah knew God, and he feared him, but he didn't truly like him. Jonah knew God, and he feared him, but he did not truly like him. Look at me, Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. This is a miracle. Right? One of the most brutal nations in history. I mean, these people bragged about their brutality. Like all sorts of evil, wicked things they were doing. And they repented, and God relented, and God did not destroy them. 
Now, if you look at the text, chapter 4, but it displeased Jonah exceeding, exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, you do well to be angry. Jonah knew God really, really well. He knew him because so much that he could predict exactly what God was going to do. That's why he went to Tarshish. He, he didn't run because he was afraid of, of going to Nineveh or afraid of the trek or, or fearful of anything. He, was, he ran because he was fearful that God would be God and God would do what God does. Didn't really like God. It's really interesting when you read this text, when you read it in Hebrew, like I know all of you guys do, the, the, the word that's translated here in verse 10 when it says how they turn from their evil way, that same word is used in the first part of verse 4 when it's translated, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Some of you have a little footnote there. It says um, it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. For Jonah, the Ninevites, to repent from their evil way, the text says it was evil to him. Now, was it evil to him that God forgave them or that they repented? Doesn't matter. The whole concept of there, and Jonah is saying, that is evil to me. That's wicked to me. I don't like that. So much so that I want to die. Jonah knew God. Didn't really like him. Didn't really like God's purposes. In the earth. See, Jonah's an interesting, interesting book. Because Jonah is like a picture of the people of Israel. Jonah's like a picture of God's chosen, called out people who are rescued. Not on a basis of anything that they've done. Simply because they were the children of Abraham. God rescued them. Pulled them out of Egypt. And throughout history, their purpose, right? God calls Abraham. He purposes them. He says, I'm going to make a seed for you. I'm going to bless you. And you will become a blessing to all the other nations. That's your purpose. But that changed somewhere along the lines of being a blessing to all the nations or being just a blessing into of myself. Concerned about my needs, what I want, distancing myself from the other nations, thinking of myself as better than the other nations. And it showcased them clearly. And, and they knew it. Like even at the time of, of, of Jesus coming in, the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders, they knew what this book was about. They did not like what this book was about. And you're asking, how do you know that? Well, I know that because the passage that I read this morning for our call to worship, 
Jesus is talking about himself. I am the bread of life. I've come down from heaven. I've come here to do the will of the Father. The Father's not going to lose anyone who, who he's purposed to bring to himself. The will of the Father is that you believe in the Son. You have life in his name. That's his will. And the religious leaders, right there, the next verse. I took my bookmark out, so it's going to take a second. The next verse Um, verse 7, um, they say, the Jews grumbled about them because he said, I am the bread that, come down from, that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he not say I've come down from heaven? Um, uh, um, that's not the place. Okay. John seven fifty two, um, And he replied to him, um, Are there any prophets from that search the scriptures and see if there's no prophet arises from Galilee? Right? They, they're, they're arguing that Jesus cannot be true because no prophet comes out of Galilee. Jonah was in Gath Hefer. Jonah was three miles from Nazareth. Jonah was from Galilee. Jonah was a prophet that arose from Galilee. Elsewhere in the Gospels, when Jesus is upset with the people, says, you wicked generation, Matthew uh, 10, I think, or 19, no sign's going to be given to you except for the sign of Jonah. But this, this book puts out God's people, his called out people on display as they actually are. That for most of them, they... They know who God is exceedingly well. But they don't really like what he's about in the world. I mean, it, he's, he's quoting. I mean, I put this, this up the past couple of weeks. Uh, Exodus 30, 34. The Lord, the Lord, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, rich in faithfulness. And Jonah says, I know that you're a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Like this, God talks about himself in this way all throughout the Old Testament. I mean, it's, it's in Numbers 14, Psalm 86, 15, 103, 8, 145, 8, Nahum 1, 3, Nehemiah 9, 17, Joel 2, 13, explicitly and everywhere else it's implicit. And Jonah's sitting there, upset, mad, angry, because God is acting like God. Jonah didn't, he knew him, didn't like him very much. <clears throat> Andy Stanley once said, he said that Jonah, Jonah was given over to the moral will of God, but not the purpose of God in the world. Jonah wanted to follow God for himself, Jonah wanted God's mercy for him. Jonah didn't necessarily want God's mercy for others. Or at least the ones that he deemed unredeemable. See, we can often be selfish with the grace of God in our life. I got young kids. And it was an interesting thing. I don't know if any of you have experienced this before. 
When I had one kid, that child was never upset when other people got, whenever me and Terrence got gifts. But as that child got older and then they got a sibling, there was a point in time where when that sibling, other sibling's birthday came along, the other one was upset that they weren't getting gifts. Even though my one son's birthday is in February, a couple months after Christmas, and my kids get overloaded with gifts. I mean, I wish that some, I sometimes wish my, parent, my family would stop giving gifts. There's just too many gifts. Um, but they, they love them, and so gets lots of gifts. Less than two months later, why, why are they getting what I'm not getting? Why can't, I'm, I'm upset. I'm mad. And then that one starts outgrowing it, and then we got the next one, and the next one goes through the same phase. And it's kind of like children do, right? They outgrow it, but not really. Because all of us have that propensity in us. When we've been given so much grace, so many gifts, so much mercy, and then we see someone else who drives a better car than we do, or lives in a nicer house, or has a worse history than we do, has done worse things than we've done. So we want to sit and judge them a little bit. I think like Jonah, we can find ourselves in this position of knowing and fearing God, but not truly liking what he does in the earth. See, God used Jonah's actions to provide a parable, a parable of, of God's people, a parable for Jonah to help him see what God really desires in this world. And here's the principle. That God desires that his people will be concerned for the things that he is concerned about. God desires that his people will be concerned for the things that he is concerned about. Text goes on, verse 5, after Jonah gets a little suicidal. He goes out in the city and he sat under, in the east of the city and he made a booth for himself out there. And he sat in the shade until he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and he made it to cover up Jonah so that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm and attacked that plant so it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked God that he might die. And he said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, where there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? That's it. That's the end of the book. 
But Jonah's upset, he's mad, he's melodramatic. You rescue these people. I just want to die. Take me, take me now. I don't, I don't want to live in the world where the Ninevites can be, can have mercy. But I guess you're not going to do that, so I might as well wait and see what happens. Maybe you will change your mind, Lord. Maybe you will throw destruction. Maybe I can see Sodom and Gomorrah come down right in front of my, my eyes again. So he goes up on a hill and he makes a booth and he sits there and he just waits, stewing. Right? He's upset. He's angry. And what does God do? God has mercy on him. God provides a plant for him. He grows it up. Right? And if you're wondering what plant, this is probably it, castor oil plant. Uh, they grow up pretty quickly, big leaves, there's some shade, they're, they're in the area. And Jonah's sitting there underneath the shade of this plant because God appointed it because to, in, in order to, uh, because in order to save him from his dis- discomfort. He cares for him. Here you go, Jonah. And he's sitting there, and he's exceedingly happy. I got a plant. It's awesome. It's got shade. And then God takes it away. And he's angry. He's mad. He doesn't like it. Just take my life now, Lord. I lost my shade. And God asks him, do you do well to be angry? I mean, God's not shaming Jonah. God's not pointing out Jonah's faults. God's asking Jonah a genuine question. Are you concerned for the right things, Jonah? Is this where you're going to make your stand? A plant. Like Jonah was concerned about himself. The entire book, he's concerned about himself. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh. He doesn't want Ninevites to be rescued. So what does he do? He goes the opposite way. Goes to Tarshish. I'm going. And he knows that he's running from the Lord and the Lord is chasing after him. He gets in a boat and And he knows that there's a storm going because of him, but he goes down in the boat and goes to sleep. And so he's allowing these pagan sailors to suffer because of his actions. I don't care about them. I paid them their their fare. That's their job. Until God arouses him and he finally says, okay, fine, throw me over the boat overboard. And God rescues him. And he brings him out. Jonah's on the bottom of, the, of, the, of the, the sea floor, seaweed over his head. And he says, I remembered the Lord. Save me, Lord. Okay, good. Here's a fish. Full of chairs and tables and playing cards. And he puts him on, back on dry ground. Rescues him. And then Jonah changes his mind again really don't like these people. And he goes out and he saves, he's sitting there, he's like, I love my comfort, I love my shade, I finally got something that's good in this life, it's taken away. 
that says, Jonah, what are you, what are you concerned about? Should I not pity that Nineveh, that great city where there's more than 120,000 people who do not know their left hand from their right hand? Which is an idiom in Hebrew speaking of a child? That city with 120,000 children and cattle? See, probably 600,000 people in that, in that city? Should I not have compassion and concern for them? No, burn them all. These kids, grown up in a system that is set up to train them to be brutal to other people who are probably being abused, all sorts of brokenness. And those people are in need of rescue. But Jonah's so stuck in his nationalistic ideology that he wants, to, he wants them to perish. There's no compassion for a, a human being who has an opportunity to be rescued. So God steps in and says, Jonah, what are you concerned about? Well, I lost my plant. It's hot. Jonah, I'm concerned about people. What are you concerned about? Well, I had to leave my home. I'm not comfortable. I don't have air conditioning here. Jonah, I'm concerned about people. What are you concerned about? Things are different. It's changing. They don't sing the songs that I want to sing anymore. It's not the way it used to be. John, I'm concerned about people. What are you concerned about? See, God's heart was to rescue these wicked people who do not know their left hand from their right hand, which is the truth about every person who does not know Jesus. Dead in their sins and trespasses, cannot do anything, impossible for us not to be, not to sin. We are slaves to sin. No way not to follow our master. Until God, rich in his mercy and grace, rescues us. And so often we get overly concerned about minor things and missing the picture of what we're here on earth for. To rescue people. I mean, God's plan is, is so much bigger and vast than we even understand. So much so that someone who was rescued here gave birth to someone who gave birth to someone who is now in our congregation. There's someone who has a lineage back to Nineveh. Who if they didn't relent or Jonah didn't go or Jonah didn't proclaim or Jonah didn't preach would not be here now. 
But Jonah almost let his comfort dissuade him from God doing something in his life. God desires that his people would be concerned about the things that he is concerned about. He's not looking just to make moral people. Like the point of Christianity is not to make a good person. It's not to separate ourselves from society and just be comfortable and, and easy and make everything nice and good. The purpose of Christianity is to know a Redeemer who rescues me out of my brokenness. And to carry that Redeemer with me so that other people may know that Redeemer and be rescued out of their brokenness. And he does it through my faults and my failures and my wins. I don't have to be perfect because he's the perfect one. I just have to be obedient and trusting. I just have to rely on him. And there are people that we avoid and would not ever go around that desperately need that grace and mercy. I just read a story, and this is a fascinating story, about a guy, I don't, can't even pronounce his name because he's South African, Ryan uh, Swaglar. This guy founded the Church of Satan in South Africa. The largest Church of Satan in South Africa, this guy founded and in a, a video, he, he tells this story of how he left that church and came to Christ. He said, so I got involved in Satanism because I, at the time it resonated with me being very broken and very sad without realizing it. And I think the reason a lot of people resonate with Satanism is they come from a very broken place. His words. He said, let me start by saying that I've never known unconditional love in my whole life. Up to today, there's only four Christians in my whole life that have shown me what unconditional love is. He gets emotional and he said that he didn't plan to break down. And when he on to, went on to thank four people for showing, up, showing him the love while attempting to hold back his tears, he addressed them directly and said, I want to thank those four people today. I don't know. I can't. Words cannot express what you have done for me. In another interview, he says this. He says, to show love, someone love is everything. He said, it's not a simple thing. You've shown me everything. You show me the love of Christ. I've seen it in you. Another person who showed uh, Swigler unconditional love was a woman he identified, whose identity was concealed, but he called Amy. In the middle of May, Swigler did his last interview on behalf of the Satanic Church. And during a radio interview, he said he didn't believe in Jesus or that Jesus existed. Amy came up to him afterward and hugged him in a way that he had never experienced before. Later, Swigler discovered that he was a Christ, she was a Christian. I couldn't believe it because I never had a Christian do that. Particular after the, after the things that I've said. Soon after this experience, Swigler was undergoing a satanic ritual when Jesus appeared to him. And I was extremely cock, cocky, he said. And I said, whatever, if you're Jesus, you need to prove it. And then he flooded me with the most beautiful love and energy that I recognized it immediately because the woman at the radio station showed it to me. That's how I recognized the love of Christ because four people, four Christians showed it. Four people. 
hug. Willing to show love. Not trying to prove himself right. Not trying to make all the arguments. But trying to show love. Probably was a little uncomfortable. Or maybe not. Maybe the Lord's just working in them. Bringing this compassion. Seeing someone who's hurting and broken. Broken. And extending it out to them. God's desire is to rescue people. So, question I have for us, for me too, what am I concerned about? What am I concerned about? Because I'm not going to stand up here and say that I do this perfectly all the time. I like my comfort too. I don't, I don't like problems. I get frustrated with my kids. I fail in areas. But again, that's not the point. The point is that Jesus is our perfect one who rescues us and takes us and moves us and shapes us and changes our hearts and our perspective into the things that are of him. So today, you're sitting here going, there's a couple reactions that come from a sermon like this. One, this preacher is just, I don't want to hear what he says. He just wants to get rid of the things that I, that, I, that, that I want and have around here and have had for a while. Or two, you're snoozing. Or three, you're going, yeah, it's hidden. And if it's hidden and if it's resonating, there's no shame. You don't need to carry guilt about it. It's just simply going, okay, Lord, I recognize it, and I will probably be here tomorrow. But right now, Lord, I'm asking you to begin a work in me to shift my perspective. To give me eyes outside of my own little kingdom of me. To give me a passion for people who are dying and dead. To let me see you work in my life so much so that this church doubles in size next year. Not because we want more people, but because that's how many new people know the Lord. Look, I don't think there's a lot of people here who are not living this out right now. I think you guys are doing an awesome job. A couple of reasons. Steve just talked about Bulgaria. We had so much money, we brought back money to go back into missions. That's incredible. There's a, I think it was Howard Hendricks said, you know, you want to see someone's spiritual life? Show me their pocketbook. You guys get it. Right, there's another missions trip going to Haiti here. Maybe we can send some of those funds that direction. But not all of us are there. And I don't know. I don't know you all that in intimately. 
I do know we have a gracious God who walks with us through our brokenness, our stubbornness, our stiff-neckedness. I don't think that's a word, but I just made it up. (laughs) And he compassionately moves in our life. Just like he did with Jonah. If we're not concerned about the things that we need to be concerned about, it's just a simple matter of repentance, changing of mind. Same thing as the Ninevites did. And then a rest and reliance on the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son. I thank you for your spirit. And I thank you that you work through, in, and through us. With us and despite us. That you're good and gracious. Lord, we ask that you would make our hearts long after the things that are of you. That you would work in us to move our eyes off our comfort and into your purposes in this world. Shape us, Lord. We trust you. We need you. We wait on you. In Jesus' name.